Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. Did y'all know that much like we have a gut microbiome, we also have a skin microbiome, which means we have tons of beneficial bacteria on our skin that protect us from pathogens. And did you also know that when you use harsh soaps and chemicals on your body, it can it can kill those bacteria and it can also create other imbalances, pH imbalances, et cetera, within the skin microbiome. So when I learned this information a couple of years ago, I stumbled upon Alivia skincare, and we have been using it exclusively ever since. So Alivia has body cleanser, so it's like a body wash. My entire family uses it, and not only actually do we use it on our skin as body wash, but we also use it for our hair. Like I don't have shampoo for my kids. I use Alivia for my kids. And I love Alivia because not only does it smell amazing, but it's 100% natural and organic. It's non-toxic. It's free of all artificial fragrances and dyes. It's environmentally friendly. And it's not a soap. It is a prebiotic body cleanser. So it actually helps support and nourish that skin microbiome. And it works so well, especially if you have sensitive skin. It can help with eczema, pariasis, body acne, things like that. We love the green tea honeysuckle scent. It smells heavenly. It's so amazing. I usually stock up and get like five bottles at a time so that I can get free shipping. And they last a really long time. Like five or six bottles will last me, my whole family, about a year or so. So you can go to alivia.com. That's A-L-E-A-V-I-A.com and use the code TaylorK15. And that will save you 15% off of all of your Alivia orders. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Today, we have a really cool episode and a really cool topic. Um, And we're going to be talking about a specific type of neurofeedback technology that is available to help families and individuals with lots of different things. It basically helps with brain regulation, which can translate, um, brain dysregulation can translate into many different symptoms and challenges and issues. So today I have Diane Costo here with me. She is the founder and CEO of Symmetry Neuro Pathway Training, and she is a mom on a mission to make neurofeedback technology available to families and individuals. She wants to help other families avoid the trauma that her family experienced as a result of her son's brain dysregulation. For the past 13 years, Diane has dedicated her life to teaching others about neurofeedback as well as providing neurofeedback services and systems. Diane has mentored and consulted for neurofeedback providers across the continent in a variety of professions for over nine years and continues to do so as part of Symmetry's Sage Advisors Division. 
As a presenter, Diane has shared her mission with organizations that provide continuing education credits for counselors, social workers, and mental health professionals at conferences across the USA. So without further ado, let's get to this episode. Hi, Diane. Thanks so much for being here. Would you mind just introducing yourself and telling us who you are and what you do? All right. Good morning, Taylor. I'm very happy to be here with you. Um, I'm Diane Costo with Symmetry Neuropathway Training, and I'm a mom on a mission. Um, I got into the field of neurofeedback because it saved my son's life, basically. So I now have a company, Symmetry, actually empowers people with systems and services to help better regulate the brain. And that's our purpose. <laughs> that's amazing. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about um, neurofeedback? Like, what is that for people that have no idea what that is? Right. I like to keep it simple and think of neurofeedback as technology-driven learning. It's just a way to better regulate the brain. Now, there are different types of neurofeedback out there because, you know, there's more and more research being done. So there are some versions that are uh, using a low-level current that are a little more invasive. And then there are the ones like we use that are strictly technology-driven learning. Many people have heard of biofeedback. So neurofeedback is biofeedback for the brain. That's so interesting. So what is brainwave dysregulation? So our brain is always producing a bunch of different frequencies of brainwaves from slow to fast. And, and a lot of you have heard the terms delta, theta, alpha, beta brainwaves. Um, so there's a certain healthy pattern that we should be producing. And when those patterns get disrupted from stress, developmental issues, trauma, anything like that, then symptoms appear. You know, people can't sleep well, or maybe they have anxious feelings, or they're having attention problems or cognitive difficulties. So it really comes down to that, having a brain that is well-regulated and in that communication patterns, those brain waves in a proper order. Hmm. Interesting. So what happens when we don't get enough sleep? Uh -huh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's one of the first things when we're dealing with dysregulated brainwaves that we are looking to see and to help someone get into a more restorative sleep pattern. Because like we have so many people that come in with um, cognitive issues, attention issues, impulsivity, or memory challenges like that. And we look at their map and we realize um, you can tell they're not getting restorative sleep because their eyes closed pattern looks one way. And when they open their eyes, all of a sudden there's all of these slow waves because their brain is tired. It's not alert mm. enough. And that slow wave activity, when that's predominant, you don't have enough control of your brain. And your brain is kind of excitatory. It wants to go wild. You know, when you have no inhibition, you do things that you normally wouldn't do, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what happens when you have too much of that slow wave activity and those sleepy waves showing up when your eyes are open. You don't have that sharpness and that control and that, you know, impulse control and things like that. So it's really a huge problem. And uh, more than we realize, people are not getting good, solid, restorative sleep. Yeah, I was going to ask you, is it possible that somebody isn't getting restorative sleep and they don't even realize? Like they're sleep, they, they think they're sleeping all throughout the night, but they're still not getting good quality of sleep? It's so common. Yes. Yeah. And they think that just because they're in bed for a certain amount of time, that they're getting enough sleep. And even mm -hmm. with our kids, that's not always the case definitely not the case. That's so interesting. And you're saying this is often because of a dysregulated brain, basically? Right. And we can see it in the brainwave patterns. When you interesting. Look at there. And when you're measuring, you know, with, with neurofeedback, we start with, um, symmetry starts with a brain mapping where we put a cap on and we actually measure the different 
brainwave patterns throughout the brain with eyes closed and then eyes open. And so that's where we can kind of see where the communication patterns are and what's off. And once you Mm. identify that, you can teach the brain to change that. Hmm, interesting. I have a question for you, a personal question. I don't know if you if this is relevant at all, but I have an aura ring which tracks my sleep. And I've had it for about a year. And what I've noticed is that I never get enough REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. And I used to think it was because I was co-sleeping and I was waking more frequently with my baby, but now I I don't co-sleep with my baby anymore. And I will often sleep all throughout the night, but my REM sleep is still low. And I'm wondering why is that? Do you think that is related? Well, you trained your brain when you had the baby there. Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe before that, maybe you were like that from childhood. Like I personally, in hindsight, see that I had a huge sleep disorder and nobody realized it until I was able to better regulate my brain and actually fall asleep at a normal rate and feel more restored. I never even knew I had that problem. And so you're tracking it, your ring can see it. And yeah, but it could have stemmed from something else in your past or from that time where you were teaching your brain that pattern and now it's stuck. Mm, That's super interesting. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but a lot of the listeners of this podcast are young parents, young moms specifically who bed share, who co-sleep, who are responsive to their children throughout the night. And so sleep is a really important issue. Um, and so, you know, we want to try to figure out how we can optimize. And that's always my goal is trying to figure out how we can optimize parent sleep, mother sleep while still being responsive to baby. So is this something that could be helpful? Yeah, because once you go through that phase, the hormonal changes, the the teaching, you know, the co-sleeping, the things that you're doing like that, if it does change, and usually it does change your brainwave patterns, your brain can learn those healthy patterns again. So if you find yourself or you notice like that with your R ring or some app that you're measuring, that you're not really getting that total restorative sleep, neurofeedback's a great answer for that. It's non-invasive and it can teach your brain to better regulate those patterns again and get back to that full restorative sleep. Because we all have things like that, whether it is a baby or, you know, or whether it's an illness. People are having, you know, long-term illnesses or intense illnesses and scary experiences and that can disrupt your brain waves as well. And, And there is a way now to actually reteach your brain to better regulate. Mm-hmm. What other areas can this be helpful with besides just sleep? Like, is it what other noticeable areas in day to day life? Or maybe a, a better question is who can it be helpful for? Yeah. Well, we have people using this from um, people that have serious issues to peak performers. So you can always improve your brain. Your brain can always learn. So when the brain is disrupted, though, you see things like anxiety, impulsivity, sleep issues. Um, even some autism and things like that. We have people coming in, calming a lot of those symptoms and trying to calm the central nervous system and improve those. So think about it. And it seems strange. Well, how could the, you know, how could neurofeedback help so many different things? But when it comes down to the brain, we all have a brain, right? And as soon as that brain isn't functioning at its optimal level, you know, we can do something to teach that brain to change that. So yeah, Olympic athletes use it in teams and then people with challenges. I see a lot of, uh, because early on I got into this because my son had impulse control issues. He probably would have been pegged with the typical ADHD and oppositional and Mm -hmm. all of that. Um, So I saw a lot of families with kiddos like that in the beginning. And now more than ever, we're seeing in those maps, when we look at the brainwave activity, 
that they're not usually typical um, ADHD patterns, but there's a component of anxiety there more yeah. than ever. And that started before the pandemic. And mm-hmm. now it's elevated even higher that most of us have some anxiety patterns in our brain map. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And is that from technology? Is that oh, our environment? I think so. I do too. I think about this all the time. I mean, I'm obviously on social media a lot for my my work, my um, my business, and even how much it impacts me as an adult and the addiction. And like, I can't have, I don't have personal social media accounts because it's just too much for me. I can't do it. But even on my business account, there's this level of addiction, even as, as an adult. And now we have children spending all day long on social media. I mean, I think it's a huge problem. I think it's one of the biggest problems of our time that isn't talked about very much. And it's something so new that we really, we don't know what the long-term impacts are. Right. I think you're spot on with that, you know, because like I said, I've been seeing it in the brain maps. I've been doing this going on 13 years now, and I didn't always have the brain maps in the beginning, but these last couple of years before COVID, I keep seeing, wow, you know, these people are coming into me for cognitive issues, attention issues, memory issues, you know, and I'm looking and it's like, well, they're in the state of hypervigilance. Well, think about that. That's what social media does. You're looking for that next like. You're getting that next hit. You're watching. You're checking. You're, you don't want to miss anything. You're yes. constantly hypervigilant. And that yes. creates a pattern in your brain that's very similar to anxiety. So no definitely. Yeah. I've noticed just personal experience. I will sometimes take like a day or two just off, just no social media. Um, and it's a huge difference from the days that I'm present on social media active because it's hard for me to like post something and then just turn it off. Like I have to be Absolutely. not posting to not be on social media. And um, there's a huge difference in my stress levels and my ability to regulate in my sleep even. I mean, it's it's massive. It's a it's a problem for sure. Wow. That's incredible that you've noticed that even the difference from days that you're not yeah. on versus on. And that oh, you yeah. have the discipline to have the days that you're not on it. Well, it's a work in progress. But you know, it's interesting because I if I didn't have a business on social media, I would choose to totally get rid of social media because I see such a big problem with it and I see the difference in myself. I just don't really fully have that option right now, <laughs> but I would. I tell I people that. all the time, if you don't have to have a social media, get rid of it. Yeah. And you're trying to help so many people. So there is, you know, and there are benefits to it. Yeah. I don't want to be the total social media basher because some people, it's the only way they've stayed connected over right. the last couple of years. So I guess there are good things, but I'm with you. I, I prefer not to be on it, but we have to be there for yeah. certain things, you know, to reach people so that we can share, you know, information yeah. like this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about neurofeedback and who it can be helpful for, but can you kind of walk us through like, what does it even look like? What is the process of having neurofeedback? Cause I think a lot of people probably listening really have no idea what you're talking about. So okay. it would be helpful to maybe get like a visual to understand. Okay. So the visual is, um, with our process and I don't, I'm not the expert. There's a lot of different systems out there. Our process begins with filling out some online intake questionnaires just to Find out what's going on with you physically and mentally and emotionally. And then you have a brain mapping where it takes about a half hour, 45 minutes. We put a snug cap on your head. It looks like a swim cap. And we fill in sensors up there with a little bit of gel. And that gel helps us pick up that brainwave activity because it's plugged into an amplifier. That amplifier goes into a laptop. So there's software there that's going to help us record the brainwave activity. So we take those recordings with eyes closed and eyes open. 
And that recording then gets uploaded and compared to a normative database, a database that shows us, okay, a healthy brain that isn't suffering from, you know, anxiety looks like this and a healthy brain that, you know, is sleeping well looks like this. And so that data gets compared to that database. We get a report and the report shows us the areas that are functioning well and the areas that are off. And based on that, we know what that brain needs to learn. It may be as simple as, okay, it just needs to increase a little bit of fast wave activity over here on the right front side, or it may need to reduce slow wave activity on the left front side, something like that. And once we have that information, you do a series of what we call sessions, neurofeedback sessions. And that's where you're teaching the brain to learn a different pattern. And you'll be sitting back. You don't have to wear that cap every time when you do the sessions. It's just a sensor or two. And you put those on your scalp, same thing. It's plugged into an amplifier, goes into the software. The software is going to detect when your brain's needing the healthy pattern that we want. And you're kicked back watching something online, streaming a movie, Netflix, YouTube, Hulu, anything that you want to watch basically or listen to. And when your brain meets the healthy pattern, it'll play a little bit brighter and louder. And it goes dimmer and quieter when your brain is not producing a healthy pattern. So it's rewarding the brain Mm -hmm. by producing a brighter screen so you can see it better. And your brain naturally wants to see things better. Like when you wake up, your eyes focus or even hearing. If we have um, music on or something like that, you you kind of tune in. Like if you hear whispers outside of a door, you naturally you just tune in. And that's kind of the way the brain works. So your brain wants to see it better. So it's going to learn those patterns that we want to encourage over time. And then it's just like when you learn to ride a bike or write with a pencil or practice a musical instrument, you do it very carefully, little by little, you practice, 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 and pretty soon you're doing it without thinking about it. So it's that process, that's neuroplasticity. We're able to learn things, whether it be through exercises or technology-driven learning. And this is technology-driven learning. Interesting. Yeah. So, So I guess my assumption would have been that there's something giving your brain an input, but it's not that it's, it's like a reward system. Like your brain is doing all of the work. Exactly. Interesting. That, that is the misunderstanding people think, are you going to put, you know, what are you doing? You're going to shock me or whatever. Yeah. And, and like I said, there are some systems which do use a low level current. I've never gone down that route because I was a mom on a mission. I'm not in the medical field. I don't want to do that. There are some out there and they're testing them and they are getting good results with it. But the brain can also just learn by reward and by teaching and learning the way, you know, we have. And there's been a ton of success with it. Hmm, That's fascinating. Um, So how long does it usually take to see benefits? Some people can feel kind of a calmer feeling right away. But we try to tell people, be patient. Give it like 15 sessions. Your brain didn't learn these patterns in one day. You know, it it took years usually for brainwave patterns to get disrupted unless there was an impact or accident. So we like to ask them to be patient, give it 10 to 15 sessions. The science shows that there's permanent change after 20 sessions in the gray and white matter of the brain. So, um, but we prefer people to really get about 40 sessions in a half hour each. And then how often is this, are, are people normally doing a session? Is it like an everyday thing? Well, at, with our at-home training now, yes, which is awesome. Um, it used to be pe- more often people coming into the office a couple times a week, and that can be time-consuming, hectic, you know, whatever. Fortunately, before the pandemic, we were developing at-home software where we can just send it to them, zoom in as needed, help them get started and monitor it from a distance so people can do it daily just like you could practice an instrument daily. Mm -hmm. 
Very cool. And then are these, are these changes permanent or do people have to kind of go back and go through it again every once in a while? They are permanent changes in the brain when you learn something. Um, just like when you learn to ride a bike and now you might not ride that bike for like 20 years when you get on it, you might be a little wobbly, <laughs> but you're still going to kind of retain how to do it. So, um, that's the beauty of it, that it is a uh, long-term change. Now there are some people, they may go through stressful times. They may not have a great diet. They may have something else happen in their life. They want to come back for a booster or something. And that's fine too. Um, but like people like my son, for instance, his impulsivity w- was ruining his life. Um, and he got kicked out of every different type of school and environment that existed until we <laughs> found this, um, after many years. And he had 40 sessions and it gave him that pause before reacting that he never had before. And it, it literally saved his life. And he hasn't had sessions since. And he's one of the most wow. disciplined people I know now. <laughs> Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I wonder just, you know, talking about the example we were just talking about of social media and how that might potentially be changing our brain and not even potentially, we know it's changing our brains, but I'm wondering like if, if a lot of your issues are coming from addiction to social media or something like that, and then you go through the sessions and then, but you don't change your social media habits. I wonder if that's something that would just keep like shaping and changing your brain to the, towards the negative. I don't know. I'm yeah. just, I'm just throwing out ideas. I know. And it's interesting and it's an interesting concept. So, and part of it, yeah, how much you're going to use and invest in neurofeedback and how much are you going to invest in your other lifestyle habits? They go together. So if we have people coming in and they're regularly smoking weed to relax and go to sleep at night, that's going to slow their neurofeedback progress. Yeah. It will affect your brainwave patterns and change that and slow your Mm -hmm. progress. And the same thing, you know, if you're eating and going through the, um, drive through every day and putting terrible things into your system, your metabolic system also affects your brain waves. It's all tied together. So we do encourage, you know, it's not the magic pill quick fix, like this will fix everything, even if your lifestyle's a wreck. So it really right. all ties together. You've got to pay attention to the sleep habits, the sleep hygiene, the sleep cycle, what you're putting in your body and yeah, what you're doing with social media and try to find that balance as much as you can. Yeah. I think that as a society, we kind of, we, we look for quick fixes and they don't exist. And, but there are, there are tools that can help us, but we also have to be really intentional about our lifestyle choices and our diet and our habits and our exercise and movement, because we do live in a world that is so fast paced and just so not conducive to wellness. I mean, it, it really isn't conducive at all to being well. And so Yeah. I'm always looking like, I know that I have nervous system issues and nervous system dysregulation and brain dysregulation. Like I know that because I can feel it. Um, and I'm always looking for tools and and tricks and programs that can help me with that. But then it's also the lifestyle stuff that I always have to remember to work on too. And that's often the hardest part of it. Yeah, I think you're right. And the good thing is that that this does fit in to our current lifestyle. It's technology driven learning. Yeah, that's true. So the kids love it, you know, and we can kick back and chill out and still have some success. You know, mm-hmm. um, if if you're severely addicted, you're going to have more challenges. But with our lifestyle as it is, and even myself um, going through all of the the trauma that we did with my son and then starting a business to help other people and everything. I was able to use this technology and actually sleep for the first time in my life too, and really get into a restorative sleep so that I could keep up with what I'm doing and continue. And, and my health has actually improved because of that you know, significantly. 
So it fits in as well to help while we're, while we're in the midst of the life that we are, you know, I don't yeah. think we even know what a truly healthy lifestyle is. So we've got to do the best oh, no. that we yeah. can with what we have. And this is a, this is a helpful tool. Mm-hmm. Right. Why, why is this, this neurofeedback something that most people don't hear about very much? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So it started back in the 60s and it was founded in the research labs accidentally, basically. Um, they were teaching, looking, observing cats in their sleep cycle. It was a sleep study, <laughs> ironically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they realized they found a new brainwave activity that was happening. And um, I guess I'm not even answering your question at this point. So you'll have to edit that part out. <laughs> no, that's okay. I got off on my tangent. Uh, I was thinking about when it was founded, but it was founded in the research lab so that it was, it was not just in the general public to help something. It was there uh, accidentally discovered, and then it ended up helping epileptics. And then the technology was only in these universities. And then people started to kind of create their own technology and experiment with it a little more. So it was engineers, scientists, people like that, that got their hands on it at first. Um, and of course, big pharma isn't a huge support. So there isn't the tens of thousands of dollars to do the studies like there are right. in pharma. So a lot of the studies are independent, university-based, you know, smaller scale. Um, that's one thing that I know. Um, the technology was expensive back then and limited, and it was hard to find the training because they were just discovering it in the 60s and the 70s. Um, and now, though, technology has really made it so much more available. Um, but there are still different philosophies out there and some politics involved in the field, believe it or not. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they're the ones that you have to have a brain map and you should have a brain map and that's the best way to go. And they're the ones that think, well, the brain knows how to regulate itself and we can just kind of allow it by giving it some information and allow it to do its own thing. Um, and so there's like, and then there's the low level current ones. So there's a couple different philosophies out in the field. And what I've seen when I go to the conferences is that they're all getting some good results. So it's mm-hmm. worth trying um, but I think those have been some of the limitations as far as I can tell. Yeah. And you mentioned big pharma and, you know, not having funding to do a lot of research. And I wonder too, I mean, it seems like this is really a um, competitor to big pharma because if it can help with anxiety and other things that a lot of people are on medication for long-term, maybe for their whole lives. And this is something that going through these sessions could limit their need for that medication it's kind of a direct competitor to big pharma and we know how powerful big pharma is in our world. So it's interesting. Exactly. You're spot on with that Um, because that's the truth of it. If you better regulate the brain, a lot of medications, we have a lot of people coming to us because they don't want to put their kids on medication, but the teachers are having trouble with them in the classroom. And, you know, the doctor's saying, well, you'd probably put them on a stimulant and, and it's just, it's so common that that's the first step is just put them on a medication. But this definitely, um, we have seen many people reducing those medications or not having to go on them or coming off of them throughout the process. Yeah. So, I mean, neurofeedback isn't in, super new to me. I'm an occupational therapist, so I've I've worked with biofeedback and, and neurofeedback a little bit. This particular 
form of neurofeedback is new for me, but just to like let listeners know too, like this isn't a new thing. Biofeedback in general is very well researched and um, therapists have been using it for years and years and years for different, different reasons. But um, this is my first time really learning about its use for the brain specifically. Like I remember when I worked in inpatient rehab, we would use a biofeedback tool to, for people that had a stroke and they had a paralysis on one side of their body, we would use a specific type of biofeedback to help um, try to get movement to the arm. That's what we usually use it on the arm and the hand. So this isn't, yeah, like you were saying, this really isn't a new thing at all. It's just not widely known. Right. Yeah. With some, because of some of those limitations, I think that when you think back that it was really founded in the Mm sixties and that in um, like 1978, they published in the Journal of Epilepsy a, a research study that Barry Sturman did, and they were able to reduce grand mal seizures and epileptics by 80% using this. Wow. Shortly after they discovered it with that CAT study and the sleep study. So, and then you start to look, and then they started um, using it for ADHD. But again, it was limited. It wasn't highly funded. The technology was cumbersome and scary, and still some of the technology is a little bit intimidating for people. And that's why I created one that was user-friendly and also one that we can send across the globe to help people because it should be, it should be a household name. I think mm-hmm. like Kleenex, you know, is a tissue. Yeah. Like, uh, symmetry Neural PT should be just our household name for when we go do our brain training. I mean, when you're using technology for everything else, why wouldn't we use it to help? You know, right. it could save a lot of stress and trauma, like what my family went through. Yeah. So you told us a little bit about your son's experience. I would, I'm wondering if you have any other examples or kind of like success stories you could share. Cause I'm just curious to hear um, about some results, like some really cool results that you've seen. Yeah. His was definitely the highlight of, you know, because he got kicked out of uh, private school, homeschool, boarding school, homeschool, military academy, <clears throat> and then a therapeutic program. Um, was about to kick him out. And so he was like my poster child, how this all started. Can I ask how old he was when he did this? Yeah. So he started having challenges in preschool and kind of getting kicked out and not fitting in. Um, And it wasn't until he was, I tried to do everything I could for him to not become one of those troubled teens that needs to get sent off somewhere. But he was 12 going on 13 when he was in that last therapeutic program Mm. about to get kicked out. And I was introduced to neurofeedback and the founder of a company here locally. And he said, that's the kind of kid we can help. And I said, let's, let's do it. You know, it makes sense. There's something going on that nobody else can figure out. They just shook their heads and said, we love them, but we don't know what to do for them. Um, So I went through the training and he was 13 when he had those 40 sessions and that gave him that pause (laughs) that he never had before. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And then he hasn't had sessions since he wasn't the perfect kid, but once I, once he went through that experience, I knew then that his decisions were his own instead of him just reacting to his environment. So Mm -hmm. he did some typical teenage stuff as well, (laughs) but I knew, Hey, this is his decision. Now this is not just the impulse. Um, So yeah, Mm -hmm. that was all going on 13. It was a while ago. He's now 25. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So you had a couple of other like stories. Yeah. Yeah. I would say my story personally too, with actually sleeping when I hadn't most of my life. We've had, um, there was a girl who was also at a therapeutic program, excuse me, 
who was on staff watch because she was suicidal, bulimic, um, just got, you know, placed in this therapeutic program, all of these different things, oppositional, inattentive, everything you can think of, all the letters. And her parents signed her up for the neurofeedback. So she starts going through the sessions and we had a paper form back then, um, you know, checking how's your attention, your, your sleep, all of the key areas. No change, no change, no change. She kept checking off of her sheet every time she came in and she gets to the end of um, closer to, you know, 15 sessions and we're watching and she's like, she's not on staff watch anymore. She's not throwing up in the bathroom, doing the bulimia thing. She's starting to get along with people. She's starting to participate in the classes and she keeps marking on her paper. No change, no change, no change. You know, we're just watching her and watching her. And by the end of the 20 sessions, which is a starting point, I was like, okay, well, finally, you don't have to come in here anymore. You're done with your neurofeedback sessions. And she begged her parents for another round because she had improved so much. You know, she was getting along with people, participating in the program. Um, one of the best things that you see is when like this spark comes back in their eyes and they start to light up again, you know, mm-hmm. because they go through so many years of being judged and um, labeled and kicked out and feeling defeated and um, unsuccessful, you know. So that's amazing to me. We've had some really, I, I hate to even mention some of the ones that are so highly unusual. And you're an occupational therapist. You've probably seen some miraculous things if you used biofeedback for movement. But mm-hmm. I had a gentleman in his um, 70s who had had a stroke eight years before and wasn't able to move his arm and his hand was all curled up so much that it would start, you know, create sores in his hand. Yeah. He came to me because he wanted to do marketing just on his retirement. And I said, well, if you're going to do that, you have to experience neurofeedback yourself before you can start, you know, sharing it with other people. So you have a really solid idea of how you can market it. And so we started doing a few sessions with him in his sensory motor strip. And within, and this was a miracle because within a, a couple sessions, like five sessions, he started to open up those fingers in his hand. Wow. And he came into our office, like called me and my technician over and was just kind of like whispering. He's like, I didn't even tell my wife about this yet. <laughs> and he started opening his hand and we were just like bawling in the, in the waiting room to even imagine the power of the brain mm-hmm. that starts to heal and better regulate. So there's some extreme cases like that. And then there's the more subtle ones where we just have, you know, peak performers and business people and I've had a, a like a businesswoman come in for ADHD. She suffered with ADHD all of her life. Focus and attention is terrible. And so she comes in and she's one of those cases where I looked at her brain map and I'm like, oh, her inattention networks, her attention networks aren't really as bad as she's feeling, but boy, is her anxiety off the charts. The patterns of anxiety in her brain were way up there. And I talked to her about it. She's like, no, I don't, I really don't feel, you know, anxious. And she was spiritual and, you know, it's just really my focus and attention we need to work on. And so I'm like, doesn't matter what the labels are with us. We're going to help better regulate the brain. Okay. So we start to better regulate her brain. That anxiety pattern starts to alleviate. And all of a sudden she comes in and she's like, wow, this thing happened at work the other day and my stomach didn't flip flop like it usually does. But, and she had no idea that she had anxiety until it started to be alleviated. Mm -hmm. And then once that started to happen, she realized her focus and attention started to come back online. And she was uh, really thrilled about it. 
you know. So it was, that was a really interesting case too. And we have that a lot where people just, they, they, they believe it's just about their cognition. And there's other things like sleep and anxiety that are interfering in their cognition. Yeah. So those are a couple that's, that's cool. Out. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I'm wondering, so a lot of, you know, a lot of parents listening to this podcast, a lot of us have like, we're, we get very triggered. We we're very maybe reactive to our kids when we don't want to be, we have that kind of issue where we have a lot of like anger and rage and it just like bubbles up and kind of like, I guess that's impulsivity in a way too. Cause we don't just take a pause before like screaming at our kids because we're so triggered. Is this something that would be helpful for that? Well, when you look in the brain map and we do our intake assessments in that mapping, you can see those areas. I was definitely one of those. I had, there are anger networks in your brain and irritability networks and mm. rumination and impulsivity. And so, yes, if your brain is in that mode, it's harder to, when there's a physical pattern that's lending to that issue, it's really hard to just snap your fingers and overcome it because you decide to. You know, it's not that easy. If that pattern right. in that area of your brain really physically is dysregulated, you're really, you know, you're going to struggle with it. And I, I always go back to my son because he knew better. He knew what he knew. He was a great kid. He wasn't, he, he, but there was no physical way for him to control that impulse. There was a circuit that was just not connecting for him. And until we were able to create that and balance that in his brain, he wasn't physically able to control his impulse. So that those anger issues, those irritability issues, even the anxiety and stuff, I mean, it takes a whole lot of mental power to overcome a physical pattern in the brain. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. I think so many parents feel so discouraged because they cognitively are aware, okay, this reaction that I'm having maybe isn't the best. It's not what I want, how I want to be acting next time I'm going to do better. But then that trigger happens and it's like, you're in, you're somebody else. Like you're, you cannot control your body and your mouth. And it's really hard because it's easy to feel a lot of guilt and shame when, but then you can't figure out how to move forward, move past that reaction. And you're right. It's, it's this brain, it's your brain, it's your brain doing it. And it's really difficult to break those patterns. It takes a lot. I mean, it, it is possible, um, on your own, even without neurofeedback, but it takes a lot of work, a lot of intentionality, and it's really slow, slow, slow progress. It seems like anyways, from my experience, <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. And you're, and you do, you know, the occupational therapy and the exercises that you do that changes brainwave patterns over time. You know, and that can greatly help. But you're right. Um, just mentally changing a physical pattern is it takes a ton of work and it can take years. So, yeah. And well, the other thing that's beautiful about having a brain map is identifying that. So we can show people, look, no, don't be so hard on yourself. There's a physical reason you've been struggling with this most of your life or at this time or whatever, you know, and, and I'll have people that are just like they, they see so much hope. When you're able to show them a physical reason why they struggle in that area and they haven't been able to just, you know, snap their fingers and change it. Or they've been working really, really hard and doing a bunch of different things and they can't change it like what yeah. my son went through. And, and showing them that in that map report alone, just getting that initial map really gives people a lot of hope. And then watching watching them really make those physical changes in the brain through a, a passive, enjoyable 
you know, modality is, is awesome too. Yeah. Well, this has been so interesting. Uh, I feel like I need neurofeedback now. <laughs> if, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If anybody is interested in learning more or, you know, getting the neurofeedback system or program or whatever it is, can you tell us how we can find you, how we can get a hold of that? Yeah. Symmetryneuropt.com is the website. And we have options for providers to help you provide neurofeedback because I don't want to be the only provider. We want to teach people how to use this in their practices, whether it be OT or um, therapists or moms on a mission. You know, we're here to help newbies be able to provide this for people. Um, so you'll see that on the website. And then there's an option if you're looking for you or a family member to actually receive neurofeedback sessions and we'll support you along the way. We have coaches that that come in and do that. We, we don't just leave you on your own, um, but it is very user-friendly system. So we're here to get it out to as many people as possible. Awesome. And I will put that link in the show notes so you can easily find it. Yeah. And we do free consultations. So there's a phone number on there, um, whether you're going for, you know, sessions for yourself or a family member, or if you're looking as a provider to try to provide the service, there's two different numbers on there. Just give us a call and we'll talk you through the options. Great. Well, Diane, thank you so much for joining us today. I've learned a lot from you and I'm very intrigued and I'm sure everybody listening has learned from you too. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Taylor. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.